Now, at the time I was going on stage and I was going to conferences and I was wagging my finger and saying, I don't know why anyone wouldn't would use any piece of technology that isn't open source, which is unfeasible, which is not, you know, there is certainly time in the world for proprietary technology, but as much as there's common infrastructure, uh, I think, you know, getting all the best minds in the world to be, and get, being able to have, here's a security audit and this security audit has been published. And now, you know, if I am a security researcher, I can go check the security audit and go look at the checks that they've made and look for places that they didn't check. Is everybody in? Good. I would love to welcome to the Finos team, Carl Moll, technical project advocate, just started this week. Among other highlights, Carl has been an open source advocate for over 10 years and actually has worked on the other side of Finos when we were the Symphony Software Foundation with the company Symphony. Um, so I sit down with Carl, we talk about his developer journey, we talk about um, things that he wants to do within the foundation, and we talk about open source in general and just get, honestly, this was my chance to get to know Carl. Uh, we had not had talked before this and um, it was just nice to sit down, have a conversation uh, with somebody that I'm going to be working with closely over the next year and um, share that with all of you. So enjoy. And three, two, one. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. This is Grizz Griswold of Finos. Hope you're doing well. Today, my guest is Carl Mall. I can't, I can't speak words today, Carl. Carl Mall. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing really well. Really excited uh, getting into my second week here at Finos. Uh, learning lots, getting to meet lots of cool people. Very good. I hope that I end up being one of those cool people. I'm just saying. Because my kids don't find me cool, so I've got to have somebody that finds me cool. Carl, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so we're, we're doing something a little bit different today. First of all, we're talking internally to a Finos person. But second... Um, Carl and I have never really met or talked uh, before today, so um, uh, just cross cross talk on internal team meeting. Exactly, exactly, and I'm sure that there are swears and no, 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 nothing like that. Right now, it's all good. Um, so, so I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna talk to Carl and interview him in the way that I would interview, you know, any of our developers or or guests, but also. Uh, this is my chance to actually find out more about Carl um, and uh, and, you know, just get to know you for a little bit. So um, so let's talk about I swear my I cannot say words. This is you said you got up at 4 a.m. today. Um, I think I got up at, you know, like six and I'm it, it's not not working for me. So um, I'm going to have you talk. Uh, Carl, tell us about yourself. <laughs> How'd you get here today? Absolutely. Well, so the little stock intro I've been doing as meeting all the uh, all the SIG leaders and uh, maintainers. Um, the last couple of years, I've been really focused on um, getting involved in a lot of different open source projects. I think mm -hmm. I've been actively contributing to something along the lines of four to six open source projects, several of which have been associated with um, startups that I've been trying to help get off the ground. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so primarily focused on uh, digital identity and Web3 wallets, um, sustainability, con- building a sustainability consortium, sustainability consulting um, right. model. And then uh, one that I, I think it might have some relevance to some Finno stuff is uh, kind of co-ownership and co-governance of digital and creative assets. So that's been kind of like a really fun passion project um, that I've been really focused on. And then before that, uh, I was working at Symphony um, Communications for four years. So that's where I really got to know back when it was Symphony OSS and then getting to watch the development of um, Finos coming out of that. Um, got to work with James uh, as Finos and then uh, worked with Rob uh, across the table while he was at Deutsche Bank, got to collaborate on a couple of projects. And I worked there as an API support engineer at first. Then I got was moved over to the platform solutions engineering team um, where I really first started organizing symphony hackathons and getting involved on a couple of the um, cross-bank workflow projects. And then I moved over to the developer community advocate role where uh, a number of Finos members probably got to uh, hear my voice at least, where I recorded the Symphony Developer Training Program. So a lot of, welcome to the Symphony Developer Training Program. In module one, download the SDK. Module two, interacting with the APIs. Thanks. Um, With with radio voices, uh, uh, we could do more. Anyway. We'll get, we'll get I was the general later. manager of my college radio station. So oh, sweet, <laughs> very good. All right, all right. Um, so, so uh, you know, I've I've read the job description, but you know, tell me tell me what you think you're doing at Finos, so that that way I can verify what I think you're doing at Finos. <laughs> I think I think it's in several parts. Mm-hmm. Um, in part, it's uh, taking over a narrow scope of uh, James's departing director of community role. Right. So I'm um, n- kind of narrowly focused, not, not as big an umbrella uh, of scope and responsibility as James had, but yeah. making sure that the community continue that particularly the technical community. Well, I guess I should introduce what my job title is, yeah, which is uh, <laughs> so the job title is a technical project advocate. Okay. Um, and so yeah, really focus, uh, keeping opening up calls, uh, make uh, making sure that the technical projects that and the technical SIGs and maintainers are well supported, yep. that they have the resources that they needed from Finos, that there's someone on the call representing Finos who is going to have an, a technical understanding of the project. Yep. Um, so keeping that level of community guidance and then also, you know, potentially recruiting in outside developers and representing Finos to the wider open source community. Good. Yeah. And, and something that, you know, James has done really well, even though I'm not sure that it was technically his, his, his in his JD, it was, you know, like, you know, being a developer advocate, being, you know, DevRel in a way to um, that, you know, that's, that's something that comes with, you know, like, to me in the world of open source, like community managers, DevRel, um, and, you know, they've, they've, they've kind of interacted in similar areas, but I think that, you know, maybe one's a little more technical, one's a little more, um, uh, I would even say marketing based on the community manager side, uh, sometimes. Um, and, and James is able to straddle some of that, which is great. And, you know, but also like, 
you know, we need more open source people, um, you know, within not only FinOS, but but also as we're pushing further into to banks. Um, and as you know, I, I keep saying on this podcast that and, and you've probably seen, you know, over the years is, you know, come from the symphony side that like as as banks are able to open up their um, their the ability to contribute back to open source projects, uh, their contribution policies, basically consumption contribution policies, then, you know, we're seeing more and more open source people actually within banks, which we never did before. Um, I don't know if that's your assessment as well. Uh, Definitely. I've definitely seen that journey. And I had a big memory kind of triggered when I, I was on the uh, common common cloud controls. Am I getting the CCC? Finos common cloud controls. Uh, yes, <laughs> for the correct branding. Yes. Yeah. 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 CCC. Uh, but there was there was a conversation. Um, it's kind of talking about the you know what's allowed, what's the permissioning, what's the uh, kind of the journey of getting into the cloud from yeah. from the financial services. And I got to witness that at. Symphony firsthand, where it was the same narratives six yeah. years ago of yeah. how can we move these workflows to the cloud? Can we trust the cloud? What's the regulatory experience yeah. for the cloud? Do we have the resources? Do we have the technical knowledge? Uh, how are we going to move our existing workflows there? And I yeah. think the conversation and the narrative is just so similar to open source. What is the regulatory pattern? Do we have the internal expertise? How do we move this existing workflow to here without breaking it? How do we, you know, and it's it was just really funny hearing it in the in the context of a cloud conversation and realizing how applicable all those narratives, all that history was going from cloud to open source. Yeah, no, it, exactly. And, and you know, um, uh, I, I kind of tell the the other side of that, too, that, um, you know, oh God, 12, 13, 13. 13 years ago when I started in open source conferences and getting involved in, in putting on open source conferences and learning backwards how open source worked, um, there was a lot of, you know, rah, rah, rah open source back then. And then, you know, like five years later, we're like, okay, now how do you actually use it instead of like, we should. Then it came to Finos, sorry, Symphony Software Foundation. And I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Like, you know, we're still doing, we're still trying to start rah, rah, rah open source. And this was seven, you know, years ago. And then, you know, three years later, we're still doing rah, rah, open source. And then I think I've been here like six, six and a half years now total. Um, And, you know, 2020 changed a lot of things, I think, within this industry in open source and banking. Um, And we are finally past the point of rah, rah, rah open source to where you're actually seeing OSPOs open up in banks. Um, you're, you know, you have people that are full-time employees that are dedicated to an open source project that didn't happen six years ago at all. Um, and if they did, they're doing it and either, um, uh, getting in trouble (laughs) because they're doing it or, um, with, with good reason sometimes. Um, but, or they were doing it on the sly and, and, you know, in order to because because open source to me has always been it started as more passion project type stuff and it you know and then but it's very useful in business as well um well, well and I, I was gonna uh, before you brought that up i was going to bring uh, during during the last couple of years for one of the projects i was working on it was gplv3 so it was mm-hmm. all about copyleft 
viral viral software licenses. And for people who aren't familiar, GPL v3, one of the <laughs> unique aspects of the software license is that if some other project uses your software that's licensed under GPL v3, the idea of copyleft is that that your your absorbing project also has to be GPL v3. And in some readings of the license, it makes your uh, the overarching project also GPLB3, um, which how enforceable that is is a like uh, is a whole <laughs> other question. But it does put you in violation if you're overarching if you've got a closed source project and you use aspects of GPLB3, particularly in a commercial context. Right. And there were some banks that were using GPLB3 software for internal projects that were right. commercialized, and you know, but also like the all of computer culture is so open source so like some of and not necessarily everyone who's using these uh these projects fully understands software licenses so really i mean it just opens up that whole uh that whole opportunity for education for really learning about how to use these things about when's the license using in the right in the right context um what projects are available but then let's get out of this place of being in a danger zone for people getting in trouble let's get this more uh, Let's get this regulatorily compliant. Let's fully invest in this, which, you know, and again, coming from the, the symphony perspective, we were so focused on making sure that uh, people in the industry could communicate with one another with one another in compliant ways. So it's not about, OK, we've got emerging communication technology. Let's not lose the convenience of modern communication technology. Let's make sure we're regulatorily compliant. <laughs> so and that's, you know. All right, Finos, of course, we're going to be using open source technology. We have to. That is mo the nature of modern computing and modern computer development. Let's make sure that we're all regulatorily compliant. Right. And 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 that that is kind of the thing, too, that, you know, um, I, I don't know. I don't know how much how much you monitored Symphony Software Foundation before we came became Finos and then into the Linux Foundation. But, um, you know, I, I kind of tell the story that especially in 2018 um when we had our second conference it was in london for it was open source strategy forum instead of finance forum back then and i called it compliance con i think at the time because like it seemed like it was all lawyers um some managing directors and zero developers and and so you know you know i think about the when you say about the different licensing that was that was done a few years back and and you know a lot i think a lot of times like the developers like i'm working on this thing in order to make this thing work you know just clear out the path for me lawyer compliance person somebody who's dealing with the licensing and 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 i feel like you know yeah yeah, five years ago, um, licensing. I mean, it's always going to be an issue, right? Um, especially when you have you know companies in the news that that talk about like, um, <laughs> you know, you shouldn't do open source, um, and 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 it just eats away from you know the things that we're doing. I won't mention names of companies who did that recently, but go look in the news. Um, and you know, it. I can think we believe in you know get the dumb stuff done sometimes with open source and then compete on the real cool stuff. Um, but, you know, but that's what developers do every single day is they, they, they work to get to the cool stuff. The compliance part has to be done. It has to be done well. And so you're right that, the, the, you know, 
I think that not only do the lawyers need to understand, you know, not only the licensing part, but why you have the licensing, but developers do too. It, it's a very good, you know, it would probably help them further in their careers too, uh, is, is my thought. Well, the other side of that is, you know, I think in this industry, <laughs> you see how investments in technology uh, help an organization leapfrog its competitors in like certain in certain use cases in certain markets um, and kind of what that 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 looks like at scale. And at some point, you know, I know there's been a lot of resistance at a lot of these firms for um, internal adoption of AI because good and there should be there should be resistance to this these this should be slow processing (laughs) at some point um internal usage of ai for code development is just going to become facts of life and there's some really interesting conversations happening around um software licenses with ai code scanning and so it's kind of and we don't know what those software licenses are going to look like. We don't know how they're going to hold up in court. We don't know that how they're going to be regulated. We don't know. That. So it's kind of, it's experimental software licensing. We're yeah. kind of in, in a weird place on, and that's a place that you're going to be, want to be very compliant uh, yeah. down the line, uh, making sure what is the use of AI code generation and making sure that, you know, you're following internal policies, but you're also not accidentally violating copyright. So true. So true. And, and, um, and, you know, and, and I think about too, on the vendor side, not just on the bank side that, I, I mean, that's something that I, I feel like the, you know, a lot of the the vendors are, they're very aware of as they're, you know, pushing forth. And um, I, I don't Do you remember the beginning of this year when like there was one AI company that anybody talked about or even had an idea about? And now it's like, you know, there's AI in every single thing that you do. Weird, huh? Um, but but I, I think that the the larger vendors that are that especially the ones that are you know that are building those models that developers can work off of like they're aware of the licensing part too and you know I mean they're trying to stay out ahead of it so that nobody gets in trouble you know first on the normal usage side but then when you get into the regulatory you know, healthcare, um, banking, energy, things like that, that, you know, things that really could benefit from that, um, that, you know, I believe that, you know, what I've heard, who I've talked to and everything that it's of concern to them too. So that's good. So they're, they're monitoring it, but yeah, this is like a, you know, I mean, that's in the same way that, you know, the, uh, the Finos, uh, CCC project came together. It's, it's about, you know, banks working with cloud vendors and then other vendors and and system integrators and everything that are all in that ecosystem in order to figure out you know what's even the wording that we use what's the ontology <laughs> you know what how how do we define things in order for everybody to understand where we are um and so that the regulators feel safe um that that everything is going on correctly that the you know the lawyers on the banking side the tech company side and everything that they feel safe that everything is is going uh and, correctly. And the consumers <laughs> right a number one uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. and whatever that word means you know yeah code yeah. It, it, is it an api service and are you the code consumer of an api service are you you know the end user engaged in private banking are you 
you know, appear to, are you a peer in that's across the table in some sort of operations workflow? Yeah. Very uh, true. Very true. Um, so, so let's, let's go back. I kind of, I, I, I did a quick, you know, how did you get here today? Um, but I kind of want to go back to that. Like just, I would say that in marketing, not all the people that are in marketing come through like marketing, you know, uh, degrees and things like that. They come there by this weird, circuitous way of like, oh, and now I'm doing marketing. Or um, I, I think I see this in open source as well. I see a lot of people that are in open source that, you know, didn't start out as developers. You know, um, I, 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 before we get to yours, because um, I'm leading you, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, like uh, uh, I, think, I think I interviewed somebody earlier this year that he started out with a fine arts degree. And, you know, now he's a developer advocate and like he, you know, weaved his way to where like, you know, oh, this is really cool. And and then, you know, takes the fine pieces of what he learned along the way, his degree and everything, and then kind of transferred it into a unique style of, you know, how he did his developer start part and then moving into the DevRel space, how he did his DevRel. So... How did you get here, Carl? What was your circuitous route to open source, I guess? Yeah, so, I mean, it all goes back to, uh, since I was 13, I was really curious about how things, how the world worked at large scale. Um, And I was really interested in how, like, understanding how the systems that govern our lives really work. So I I was just a political nut as a kid. And... I read Dune probably th- over 30 times uh, mm-hmm. in my lifetime. Uh, Ender's Game over and over. Uh, years old, that was my favorite. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I like kind of starting at 13, I was reading op eds and the newspaper every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was just really under- wanted to understand how policy worked, how governance worked. And I had some friends who were really technology driven, but technology didn't really become a a day to day of my life um, until I got to college. Mm -hmm. And so got to college and I as a freshman, I took intro to American uh, politics, uh, Arabic and intro to computer science. And this Mm -hmm. is in 2009 going into early 2010, the Arab Spring starts and I start getting really interested in how do people engage in social media to engage in political movements? Because also at this time, we've got, um, uh, let's see, Occupy Wall Street around then is happening. Uh, the Tea Party movement's happening. So lots of large-scale political movements. And these conversations are happening very online. Yeah. Um, so I got very interested in how do people engage in, how do people engage in, in politics on, in online social media? How does information spread through groups um, in multi-dimensional social networks and then thirdly what is this underlying technology that's happening so i got really interested in uh so i i wrote kind of the first big computer science paper i ended up so after that first year i ended up switching my focus kind of completely to the inner i went for political science uh had an idea that i was going to try and pursue a career in state department uh focusing on the middle east completely switched my focus over to computer science with a political science lens um, and 
first pa- one of the first papers I wrote was on uh, decentralized peer-to-peer networks, de- decentralized peer-to-peer mesh networks, and how that could be a and. But the idea of the decentralization, decentralized communication, by necessity, got me interested in open source. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't have kind of a lot of these decentralized worlds without open source, and particularly without free and open source uh, yeah. movement. So, got I was t- I was aware of it. Um, it. I was kind of absorbing a lot of concepts. Uh, I was you know reading up on GNU and um, you know some of these early things but it was it was a little bit outside of my grasp i don't i don't think i fully understood the the a lot of it was very academic and theoretical and i was i i wasn't encountering real world things where that would be an issue uh i got into some i I was as i mentioned earlier i was general manager of my college radio station so i helped design and build uh the college radio app but and then i had to learn a lot about open source uh music uh music streaming uh i forget the the name of it but the the standards like og vorbis and some of these others which were various different um we were using an open source music streaming platform so i I was kind of learning which then became really interested in with my academic research of you know how how can people spin up communication technology to interact with one another so okay we've got a radio station it's an open source radio station you know how could this be used around the world it, you know it under repressive regimes under you know so it was all it was all very interesting moved um after college i or after college i uh didn't really like coding that much, but I was super fascinated by computer science. So uh, through friends, various friends and friends and alumni networks, I ended up working at Mixpanel, um, which is a, uh, an- a user analytics uh, company at the time was uh, uh, kind of the uh, and Andreessen Horowitz uh, A16Z, you know, frontline product um, kind of in 20, between 2014, 2017, I joined as a support engineer. Uh, two weeks before the series B uh, launched the company tripled in size in a year Mm -hmm. at that time we were using, you know, but all our SDKs were open source. Um, And it led to some really interesting places where a a, a competitor or not a competitor, uh, someone that kind of became a competitor later um, forked our, forked our SDK. And Mm -hmm. on the one hand, it was driving new customers to us because they were an aggregator. So they, built one analytics platform on top of all the other. Uh, so I'll just say, you know, it was, it was a segment, which then later got acquired by Twilio. Phenomenal company. I really like a lot of the people that work there. A lot of my former coworkers ended up working there. But as a support engineer, it was really frustrating because they, built, they forked us. Mm-hmm. They were sending new customers to us, which was great. But then we had to support their forked version of our SDK. They would send support requests to us before they built out their own support team. So... Mm-hmm. We as support engineers, we had to be experts on our own SDK, but then we had to be experts on the not necessarily up-to-date supported forked version of our SDK, which had added all sorts of extra nuance. So it was it was a weird place where, on the one hand, I was like, this is really cool that a competitor, not a competitor, someone in the space uh, is able to fork our thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it also causes frustration, but I, th- 
I think this is good. Like it was, it was a, you know, I think yeah. this is a net good in the world and this is how computing should work. Yeah. Um, it's frustrating. And then at the end of the day, knowing that we still had a value add as our core product and company, um, we could have a closed source backend and our, the APIs that we were exposing and that it was good for end users could take a look at how our SDK and what we were collecting and what was being sent through. At one point, I won't get into too much detail. It's relatively publicized, but there was a there was a bug in the SDK that then got exposed by our our customer base. Like you got the end consumer was able to figure out that um, there there was information that was being collected that shouldn't have been collected, and that was exposed and known through the SDK. And because it was free and open source, or well, I won't say free and open source because it was open source. Um, it was able to be exposed by the by the developer community, uh, and that's like security audits as part of open source. Like very passionate about that. Yeah, worked there for two and a half years, and then um, came over to Symphony, and then we were we had the um, SDKs across all the, all of the sides that were um, maintained by the Symphony Software Foundation. Um, a whole lot of history with that, but then uh, eventually we moved that over to. Um, that that the SDKs were then maintained by Symphony, um, right. so and then I maintained the um, Symphony Python SDK and introduced a couple features there. Um, kind of went through there and then uh, kind of moved into my recent open source journey. That's cool. So thank you for that. Um, I, I kind of want to go back to um, what you were talking about um, when you were at the. Oh, I don't remember the name of the A16 place. Um, Mixed panel. <laughs> okay. Um, yes. So can we talk about that for a second? Like, you know, I, I, I want to say that we always talk about the benefits of open source. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's obviously part of, you know, see behind me, FinTech Open Source Foundation. Like, we're built on that, right? Um, but you know, I, I, I think two things, one on the security side and two on the competitor side, like within our foundation, we have, you know, in multiple places and in, in multiple projects, we have competitors that are working directly with each other legally <laughs> um, and well regulated. Yes, exactly. Um, you know. And this this is kind of what I was saying earlier. It's like they're working on, and and I I know it's not dumb stuff, but I but I put it in that aspect of like it's the stuff that you just have to get done. It's the standards. It's the you know it's the basics sometimes that have to be addressed and fixed and and fine tuned and everything so that you can compete even with those same companies that you know um, you know that you're working with on like a standard you compete against them basically on, on the IP on, you know, the intellectual property um, because obviously that's not happening within the open source project. Um, so, so there's the competition side that, that like you can look at it. Like, again, some companies recently have been very vocal about um, and say that, you know, like all of our competitors are stealing everything from us. Well, because we open source things and everybody uses that. Like to me, Sorry, it's a, it's kind of a, a, a BS stance um, of you know like hey, well guess what do better you know <laughs> like 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 
your stuff was so good in order, you know, that people are building on top of it. They're forking off of it. And I get it. You know, I get it from the support side, definitely. Um, but I mean, as far as like the, the pure, like, I see the competition factor that you can use open source to, to get a baseline, continue to build that baseline up and, but continue to compete at a higher level and do the higher level things so that your customers or consumers, whatever that consumer is, um, you know, like gets better value, the better that the project gets that you build on top of. Um, any thoughts on that? Or am I just ranting? (laughs) That was for me, and even when I wasn't working in fintech, uh, uh-huh. even when I was working in the larger open source world, this, I, I would just, I love the symphony story. I love the, um, you know, oh, and what's what's uh, what's the, the word for, the consortium, the yeah. consortium-based model of, all right, com- we've got common problems yeah. and common solutions. Yeah. Let's work together. We might compete on these other things, but we're going to work together on building this infrastructure. I think the term that uh, DG used to say was we're building, we're building uh, train tracks during the time of, of the railroad boom, okay. you know? Uh, so, you know, <laughs> yeah, and I love true. Those. it's true. I, yeah. Is it selling pickaxes during a gold rush? Is it train tracks during a, you know, but, um, but I, I loved being in a room with people from, you know, three different competitive firms and figuring out what is the common solution here and hearing about how different people were trading each other and finding more efficient ways to do the work that was already being done. Like I remember some solutions where, okay, we're building a chat bot uh, that it opens up a, it opens up a group chat and, you know, we send data here and this replaces someone downloading a spreadsheet, calling a bunch of people at, you know, the front office or the back office of, you know, some competing firm and then manually entering things back into a database. And instead, you know, the workflow is already happening. How to make this more efficient by collaborating on to make the workflow more efficient and safer and more secure and less prone to human error. Like there are just so many downstream effects towards well-regulated digital workflows uh, that are built collaboratively, where just completely replacing all these things that are so prone to human error, uh, you know, or all the various levels of other inefficiencies. Right. And, and you know, I, I kind of liken open source to, um, to franchise. You know what the value is? And the two things that have the most value in franchises, just take a guess what you think might be the number one thing of value uh, that a franchise sells you. Well, I, I did recently watch uh, that movie, so I'm the land. Oh. oh no! Okay, okay. So, 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 what would be the number one thing? Do you think is it not the land? Oh no, no, no! I'm sorry, not no. McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, not the not the land. What? So, if if I'm if I'm a franchisor and and I have you know if. I'm not going to say the Golden Arches company, but um, because yes, real estate is very important there. But um, uh, but but if I'm selling you my franchise and you're becoming a franchisee, um, and and I have been a franchisee before in, in the restaurant business, and and um, there were there are two things that I was really buying. One was the brand, and the other one. Oh, I'm about to get the thumbs up on zoom here. And the other one was, um, 
the systems. And right. so, so, so I look at, um, I look at open source kind of in that aspect of it, it's a franchise and, and the belt, the better that the systems are to me as a franchisee, that was actually more important to me than the brand. Sometimes um, the brand gets somebody in the door, but the systems better make it so that I'm making money. Um, and so, so the systems are the, the multiple people coming and companies coming together and building something to where the, the, the basement keeps getting higher. Um, whereas the brand is kind of like, I see that as the IP again, that, that, you know, like that's where, I mean, you know, um, who is it? U S foods and Cisco, they are two of the largest, um, food distributors in the U S and like, guess what they sell to Subway. And they sell to mom and pop. Um, or I owned a Groucho's Deli, two of them, um, in South Carolina. And, you know, like, they sold to both of us. And, um, you know, so as far as they were concerned, <laughs> all they cared about was that we both made money. Um, so, so anyway, the, again, if I, if I liken it to that, it, it's the, you know, the systems if they're better and they're more complete, then they're going to be more efficient. They're going to be less costly um, and better. And then, you know, the brand or the IP is, is where I can, you know, do all the fighting if you really need to, or are um, competing with others and trying to acquire customers at that point. Well, and, and kind of like on a final note on that, one of the things that most excites me about open source is <laughs> I cannot stand systemic inefficiencies mm. i cannot stand reinventing the wheel right we have a solution for this right. why would we you know why would 10 different organizations create the same process to do the exact same thing like i'm gonna do it better <laughs> and well and, and just and just on but just on a human level you know and kind of going back this this ties in well into the conversation about you know where does ai's place right fall into our world why would we do this? Why would we apply human genius and human creativity to do rote tasks when we don't have to? Why are we going to rebuild? Like, we don't need five people building Microsoft Word. Let's just have a text editing document that we can all agree on. Why do we need, you know, 10 different organizations figuring out, uh, you know, any technology that's just of common use? And if let's focus on the creative new things let's move move human progress forward and focus on the new challenges i'm just on a star trek binge right now you know let's let's go to the final frontier <laughs> make it so uh, <laughs> all right um the, the other thing i wanted to ask you about when you were talking to was um you know the kind of the dark side of of open source when it comes to security um, and obviously, you know, two years ago, almost now that became very prevalent, um, with log4j and, and, um, all of that. Um, and it, it stuck in it, you know, like it made it down to the consumer level and, and newscaster level, I think, you know, like, Oh, like everything's going to fail now and open source is bad. Um, and you know, um, and you know, obviously, 
the White House, you know, since then has been trying to address it. Um, you know, it's been great as part of the Linux Foundation that, you know, the Linux Foundation has been involved in some of those efforts. Um, but, you know, but I did want to ask you, like, as 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 you had that vulnerability on the SDK happen, like, I know that there's a lot of, oh, crap moments going on there. But, you know, what's what's your thought on open source and security just in general? Um, you know, uh, while that attack, ha- I can't remember what the exact timing of this was, but I was working at an open source community owned Web3 wallet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> people can talk all they want to talk about the blockchain industry and the Web3 industry. But one of the really I, while I was at that company, there was a Web3 wallet that I won't say which one, but they were logging people's key details into their logs. Mm-hmm. So they were and they were, you know, they were privacy credentials were being written into logs. And we had the users had no way of knowing because it wasn't open source. And the nice thing about open source is that it's all in the open, that it is auditable, that at any point during that, you can look at the full supply chain of technology. Now, at the time I was going on stage and I was going to conferences and I was wagging my finger and saying, I don't know why anyone wouldn't would use any piece of technology that isn't open source, which is unfeasible, which is not, you know, there is certainly time in the world for proprietary technology for security and competitive and all sorts of other reasons that um, at times closed source technology is completely acceptable. But as much as there's common infrastructure, uh, I think, you know, getting all the best minds in the world to be and get, being able to have, here's a security audit and this security audit has been published. And now, you know, if I am a security researcher, I can go check the security audit and go look at the checks that they've made and look for places that they didn't check. Um, you know, particularly for, you know, it's a shame that in this one case, uh, this very highly publicized security case um, that didn't go through that process, you know, right. for various reasons. But there's security vulnerabilities all over the web. You know, we can't get rid of this. It, it's not. It's not. There hasn't been a system in the world that's been, you know, completely secure right. all right. the time for all history. Um, and so, I think focusing on on w- one instance of a security of a security vulnerability misses the whole picture that getting all the eyes in the world on common infrastructure makes it more secure. All right. And, and you know, like what I think most people don't know is that, um, uh, what are they called? Um, when a vulnerability is found, it, it actually has a, a, a name and, and there's an organization that actually publishes each one of these vulnerabilities there are hundreds a day <laughs> and, and it's, it's on, it's on open source, you know, um, software, it's on closed source software as well, but the, um, oh, I have to look it up. Um, but, but it happens every single day. It's just, there are sometimes where it has, you know, a little different implication because it's such a small hole into a wide infrastructure. Um, and, and that's what we saw, you know, we saw that with Heartbleed and what, 20, I think, um, you know, and, and then we saw that, you know, again, a couple of years ago, but so, 
So my question to you on that, though, is, and is I hope it's devil's advocate, is, yeah, but Carl, aren't you giving all the hackers the ability to see how the sausage is made as well? So aren't they able to see where, you know, like, be able to look exactly like, oh, here's everything works. Aren't you giving them all the tools they need, Carl? <laughs> and it, yes, uh, you know, but you're also giving all the security people and the security enthusiasts the exact same information. We're right. in close. So, and that's actually the, the kind of, you know, the great answer to that is the ethical hacker isn't breaking into closed source systems to look at security vulnerabilities where the hacker is, you know, and that's, and the more that it's in the open, you're not just allowing the bad actors access to your code. You're allowing the good actors who are going to publish an audit, who are going to, you know, make, who are going to patch a fix um, where I can't patch a fix. Not that I'm a skilled enough coder to do it, but I can't patch a fix to, um, you know, what name closed source system here that has some vulnerability uh right. and where if i know about a vulnerability i can you know i as an open source technical project advocate could rally the flag and uh you know call on the best developers i know and be like hey let's form a work <coughs> let's get this right. fixed right and 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 also to you know i think part of that answer ends up being too that like especially in larger open source projects that have, you know, that have those vulnerabilities, like, hey, guess what? XYZ company who builds billions of dollars on top of this particular system, this is where your contribution has to come back to. Because if they're, if literally, Heart, I think Heartbleed was like, it was two guys named Mike, um, if I remember correctly. And like, they were supporting something that supported, you know, 80% of all you know, companies, software in the world. <laughs> and, and if you, if you read, if you read about how, how everything happened with that, I mean, these two dudes were just, they were so burnt out and they, that's what it was is they could not keep up with the support at some point. You know, I mean, forget your, you know, the forked version of it. Like they were dealing with, okay, we're two people. How do we deal with this? Um, and and so, you know, I, I think some really good things have come out of actually Heartbleed that have, you know, helped open source, you know, funding has helped open source. And, and by funding, you know, that could be money. That could be um, full time employees that are dedicated to working on, you know, um, you know, finding the gaps that need to be filled um that could be you know marketing um honestly that you know of like you know here's here's an here's a project that really needs more help um and that you know help plug the holes because it'll help plug the holes everywhere um you know what was my point of all that it, it was you know like sometimes these things actually yeah, like they seemed like a big deal at the time they can help lose money. Obviously you do have, you know, unethical hackers that are, that are looking for these vulnerabilities, but you're right. The, the good answer is that, um, you know, like it, it's, it's giving a space for the ethical hackers to actually, you know, rally around something and, and do something well. Um, and, you know, that's our jobs, right. In a nutshell. <laughs>
and and I, and my my device might be cutting off here in uh, in uh, just a minute minute or two here because <laughs> I didn't bring my charger into the uh, phone booth with me, but. Um, yeah, no, and I think that's really where the call to action is. I mean, there's that XKCD that says, you know, all the different projects that are built in a big tower of this is the technical stack that we all, that the world is built on. And here's this tiny little pillar. Uh, here's a here's a, a, a package that's been being maintained by one guy in Idaho, uh, you know, and that's holding up the whole internet. And that's, you know, the, the, that's on the whole industry. You know, the whole industry is using those projects uh, whether they, you know, whether they admit to it or not, or, you know, no. or understand, you know, yeah, or if you fully don't understand right. there are dependencies and dependencies and dependencies, and it's on the full industry to find the, to understand their full supply chain of what yeah. software there is being utilized and then understand which projects that are core to the dependency of everything else need additional resources, need the additional funding, need the focus and building the, making sure that we have a strong foundation across the entire tech stack. Right, exactly. So we'll stop there because otherwise the interview is just going to be me talking to myself pretty soon, right? Um, <laughs> which I do a lot, just... <laughs> um, but, um, or on TikTok? Yeah. <laughs> um, or James is, James is LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm LinkedIn. James is, James is, is TikTok Santa as far as I'm concerned. Um, I love you, James. Um, Anyway, let's do this again. Um, yep. You know, let's go. Let's go deeper into things. Let's. You know, we can talk about specific projects at, at another point. Um, uh, we can, Once I'm a little bit more up to speed on the projects yeah. after uh, after my second week. Yeah. No, you should know everything. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I think I think I said last week in in a meeting. I'm like, you guys know it's going to take Carl a little bit to understand even the landscape of what the heck we do here's plus how many projects we have and what happens inside of all of those projects. Um, so, uh, but, but, you know, let, I mean, let's use this as a learning lab if you want to as well. Um, and I don't know any of those things. Remember I'm the marketing guy. Um, I know a couple of things, but, um, but, you know, like as, as you delve further into projects and, you know, let's talk about them and, and just, uh, uh, I mean, kind of like update type thing, but also, you know, and we can also find maintainers that, you know, we can please explain exactly what you're doing and why this is important to what we're doing. Anyway, um, so I'm going to leave it there um, because Carl is now frozen in time. And uh, uh, but I appreciate Carl being a uh, guest today. Um, looking to do this again. And um, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, and and if you get a chance, welcome Carl to the Finos community. Um, and also, as James is leaving us as director of community, uh, make sure that uh, uh, you thank him. Um, you know, on his way out, he is definitely going to a great place. Um, and we will see him on the other side of this year in his new role. Um, at maybe one of our members um anyway uh thanks again carl uh thank you james and with this i'm going to say good day good night wherever you are <laughs>